Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. My guest this week is Xavier Gray. Xavier is the founder of Tech and Flow, and it's a company that builds financial education and digital tools. Now, the reason we're having this conversation is really crucial because many of us don't think about the investment strategy that we have. We invest in ourselves as consultants, as coaches, as trainers. We don't think necessarily about the business side of things to the extent that we see it as something outside of ourselves, separate from ourselves, something that has value intrinsically without us. And that's the point. When it comes to selling or exiting your business, what is your plan? Um, What do you actually need to do to ensure that you leave behind something that people want. And so today we're going to focus on three key things with Xavier. First of all, as a business owner, why your personal financial situation can sometimes be the greatest risk to your business. Again, if you're a one-person solo consultant, coach, trainer, facilitator. Secondly, why your business has to have really two functionalities It provides you with an income stream, but also needs to be a store of value that you can monetize and perhaps eventually sell so you can have someone else acquire it. Maybe you can bring in someone else as a partner and that person buys into your business to release capital from your business back into your pocket. And thirdly, why your business is one place that you invest. We all do that. You know, we invest in our own certification, our own Um, skills, taking courses, going to conferences, but we need to invest also in a couple of other buckets, as Xavier calls them. So really, really interesting episode today. One of the last episodes of 2023 and a really important one from a business perspective. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for people like you and me, self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches around the world. And the focus every week is on the business of you and I making money from our expertise, our workshops, our courses, our books, our keynotes, our programs, or sometimes just our experience. Maybe you've none of these things, the things which I've just described Maybe you're on the cusp of thinking of leaving the corporate world and setting up your own business, selling your own IP, intellectual property, or perhaps you're not really clear about how to make that jump, that transition. Well, guess what? You're in the right place because every Thursday for the past five years, we've had people on the show, sometimes just me, sometimes, in fact, most of the time with guests, and we've had authors on, we've had famous trainers, people from the world of consulting that have made millions, sometimes hundreds of thousands, in monetizing what they do, what they know, to help people with the kinds of problems or challenges that their expertise can help them with. And every Thursday, there is an episode just like this waiting for you. And if you've not yet subscribed, please click on follow or subscribe right now on your podcast platform of choice. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Xavier, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The reason we're speaking is 
I suppose the kind of thing that um, many people know they should be thinking about but don't, people who listen to this show are invariably like me. They're self-employed consultants, trainers, and they're not thinking about money too much. Well, they think about the money they charge, but where does that money go? And when we put money aside, what's it for? And how do we work out what we should be investing and putting into pensions and things like that? Let's start with you, first of all, to give us some context. You run Tech and & Flow, and your business is about providing financial education to help people. Why did you do that? That's a very quick intro. Why did you do that? <clears throat> like many, I'm sure, uh, I was brought up in a family, fortunately, of entrepreneurs. So I feel like I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial niche. But beyond like work hard and save money, I was never really given any financial education or, you know, investment advice or wealth building advice. And really no one in my family, I would say, is like affluent. Um, they're all pretty middle class to low middle class or even poor, quite frankly. Um, and so for me, the, the, the starting was uh, I was exposed early to a lot of people who had wealth. And my thought was, how do we create that? Like, how come they're always going on family vacations and, you know, their kid got a car at 16 and, you know, whatever. And we weren't. Um, and I didn't look at that in like a negative way of like making an enemy of my family or my parents as much as just like, how do we get to that period? <laughs> and I guess the people that think about these things are pretty clued into how much they spend, but it's not just a question of what you make. It's what you keep, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is the market right now for financial education? Because there are people listening to this who will have some ideas for training or coaching that is in the fintech space. Yeah. So I, I feel like, and this was from my own research, two to three years ago, there was a lot less than there is today. Um, over the last two or three years, you've really seen a big push where you pretty much go to any major bank or any major investment platform, custodian, Fidelity, Bank of America, Charles Schwab, you know, whatever it is, there's some kind of education section. You've even seen like Robinhood introduce this Robinhood Learn, and they have these, uh, they call it Robinhood Bites that they send out. And you, you've seen a bunch of uh, online publications create blogs and email newsletters. You've seen Instagram and social media influencers that are so many different coaches uh, that, are, that are selling courses. So uh, I would say the access is at an all-time high. However, what we saw is that, um, like anything, if you just learn about engines and transmissions and you know cars, but you don't like apply it to actually going and fixing a car, then you're just acquiring generic information and it's not applicable. I think it's really the same with finance that if you don't connect that education to an actionable item or back to what your actual goals are, uh, then it's lost knowledge. Um, now, when you say what's the market, 
I would say that you really can break it down into a couple of different areas. And I don't know that I've organized this sequentially for this thought. I'm kind of articulating it now, but, you know, we're talking with a, uh, they're basically an RIA back office. They're called Dynasty Financial Partners, and they're based in St. Petersburg, Florida. They were in New York. They relocated. They work with about 80 different RIAs. Amongst those 80 RIAs, and for those that don't know these terms, registered investment advisor. And in the investment world, you have broker dealers and you have registered investment advisors. Those are pretty much your two key things. And RIAs are usually like these boutique independent firms. And the average client within that whole 80 RIAs has about $1.5 million of investable assets. 95 to 99% of the population doesn't have that much money. So one sector that we're talking with them about is basically how do we educate millionaires' kids? And that's advanced education. That's really high-level education. That's really not what our mission is at Tech and Flow, but it's an opportunity that's been presented to us. Then I would say you can go all the way down to the other side of the spectrum. And there's a, a nonprofit that's here also in Florida called Project Prosper. And they're dealing with refugees, people that have relocated here, maybe don't even speak English or are learning English. So English is their second or third language. And they're helping them just understand how does a bank account work? What is a loan? What is credit? Really entry level beginner education, maybe up to like intermediate education. And then you have sort of the sector where I would say that we're niching in, which is call it 18 to 40. I've graduated college and or I'm working now. I'm earning probably 50 to 200 grand a year. I would like to begin building wealth. But this particular generation is not of the mindset of I want to work for some corporation for 30, 40, 50 years anymore. Entrepreneurship is a big part of it. So how do we make our overall financial plans and strategies to have optionality? How do we build wealth for today, but not have to only put money in buckets that we can't touch until we're 60? And I would say that that's really the niche of who Tech and Flow provides education for. So we're going to focus on three things then today. And these are your suggestions, and I like them a lot. One is why personal finances are the greatest risk to someone's business. And those of you listening who are consultants, coaches like me or trainers like me, you're probably, you are the business. And why have your personal finances a bearing on your business? Number two, you talk about, Xavier, uh, Xavier the, the functionality um, and how business has two functionalities. It's a store of value and an income stream. And we're talking then, thirdly, about where we should invest, not just in our business, but other buckets which you have in mind. Let's start with the first one. So for people listening who are running their own business, they are the business. Why do you say that as a business owner, your personal finances are the greatest risk to your business? I mean, at the start, first and foremost, of what is the purpose of a business? To make money, to be profitable. And often one of the biggest detractors of that particular business is the operating expenses. 
And that business has to pay you as an employee, no matter how you look at it. You might be the owner on the other side, but ownership is irrelevant unless someone wants to buy it. So really, you're not an owner. You're just an employee in some capacity. That's got to hurt some people listening, and it's so true. I'm nodding my head. It's true. In some respects, people leave a company thinking, I'm going to start up my own business, but they actually become a slave <laughs> and they become an employee they become a slave right because if if they don't work today or tomorrow they're not earning the money's not making business so what you really have in some respects is a job it's what you've bought or started right you've invested money into a job yep yep with the hopes that you're gonna lead that business in the right direction such that there is some kind of value which where is value created in business? Value is created in the ease that it can be replicated. Take you out of it and plug any robot, dog, person, whatever it is that you want to plug into it, and it still does what it's supposed to do without you. If your business doesn't do that, there is no store of value. Right. Again, harsh words, but actually true, right? So then what you have, again, going to that point, is you either have something, and this is what I realized. I was a financial advisor and a banker for 10 years. I was working under corporations. What they gave us the luxury of of having is some sense of ownership. You build this book, you have these clients, you reach this point where you no longer want to do this anymore. You can sell your practice. However, depending on the corporation, there may be very fine constraints as far as who you can sell to, which limits your upside, and how you can sell, which also limits your upside, but you can sell. So effectively, you've built this replicatable model. You've built this client list. You've built this asset and recurring revenue list, and then you have the ability to sell it. Why I chose to leave is because I realized how low that ceiling was actually. And so my, and, and, and more than that, I also uh, realized that within that existing business model, the people who really needed to be served the most, we couldn't serve. But I'll leave that one. That's not going to the point that we're talking about. So, so given that, uh, we started a tech company. And within tech, it is a replicatable system. You can build this technology. You can then put it in the hands of many people. And already the valuation of our company is probably two to three times more than the value of my practice ever was. So it sounds like we're suggesting here for people listening that if, you're, if you are the business and the business cannot do without you, you don't really have a business because there's nothing intrinsically valuable without you and therefore cannot be sold. Somebody you. can't buy you. So then so, you, have, you have an income stream. That's what your business is, which that's right. okay. There's no right or wrong. I think that's what we have to avoid. If we are so good at doing a certain thing such that we can charge a premium for that thing and earn 200, 300, 400, 500, whatever grand a year, and then we can take value out of that cash flow and put it into some other vehicle that is a store of value, then now we've taken this income stream 
We also get all the tax benefits that come along with being a business owner. And then now we can put this cash into some other vessel that is going to actually hold value and can be sold at some point, whatever that is. And again, that's not something that everyone thinks about because many of the people who've listened and listened to the show have told me, I left corporate because I hated working for other people. I want to do my own thing. And I know I'm taking a risk by putting everything in this basket. And what often people seem to do is they keep putting money back into this basket. So they're building this thing which still needs them and cannot do without them. Why do you say then your personal finances are the risk to the business? Because if uh, you are putting yourself in a bad scenario with the intent of growing this item that may be an income stream, especially, and not a true store of value, then, then now you've become the biggest risk because now you're having to maybe take value out of that business at an inopportune time to plug a hole that you've created. That could be debt. That could be poor cash flow. That could be health issues. That could be family dynamics and family drama. I mean, how many people have we heard that have gotten sick, divorced, or bankrupt because of the business that they were in. Right. So there's no real separation for someone who's self-employed between the business and themselves, because in effect, they are the business. And whenever something doesn't go right, like a health issue or some unexpected debt, the business provides that cash or that that uh, source of revenue or source of income or source of um, assets to to plug that hole. I get it. I get it. So what, how do we then go about creating something that is a store of value? Now, when I've asked other people this, they've said, well, build something like a consultancy. And that's the example we'll use for the rest of this chat. I think like a consultancy, build something which isn't you or doesn't rely on just you, but is a true store of value such that if you're taken out of it or can resell it, it provides some kind of payback or revenue stream? I mean, when you're talking consultancy, the, the, I'll kind of apply it again to our model because, I mean, in effect, one aspect of our business is coaching or consulting. And the way that we took that is if the only way that we make money is Mark and Xavier sit on a call and Xavier gives advice to Mark, it's not replicatable. But if Xavier creates some kind of patent or IP or signature process or some kind of course or some piece of technology or something that helps Xavier do his job better, which then in return helps Mark, then now there is an asset. There's a trade secret. There's intellectual property. There's, there's something that is tangible. And we don't think of these things as tangible, but like, you know, Tech and Flow owns uh, one about to be two patents. Uh, that is what investors are interested in because that patent, regardless of Tech and Flow's success, can be licensed or sold to any 
other entity that might be in my field. So I would say the first thing that I would consider is if I'm a consultant, I'm looking up and I'm seeing who are the other consultants, right? Maybe it's one of the big four or five consulting firms. I feel like there's consolidation. I think it's probably about the three, but, you know, look at KPMG or Deloitte or, you know, whomever, maybe it's not looking that far up. Maybe it's, you know, maybe more middle market, but maybe look up and see what specialties those people are keying in on, consider your clientele, and then consider, is there any part of this process that can be copyrighted, trademarked, or patented? And now all of a sudden, you've taken your consulting business and you've now created a replicatable model. Right. So we're intentionally building something which is almost passive income. It can be paired with some kind of active service delivery, but we want something which is valuable even when we're not there. A course, IP, a framework, um, some kind of... Yeah, it doesn't have to be tech. It doesn't have to be tech, right. Yeah. Okay. So people listening are thinking, well, there must be something that I've done in the past that I could formulate or create into some kind of... um, thing that that has a price and could be of interest to people. I interviewed John Warlow, who's the host of the uh, Built to Sell podcast about three years ago, and he wrote a book on the subject Built to Sell, which is echoing a lot of what you're saying, Xavier, which is this idea that if you are the business and the only thing valuable in the business, then you ain't got a business. And again, that's hard to hear for many people listening to this, but if you're a consultant or a trainer or a coach, a facilitator, and you've invented something, patented something, you've got some kind of IP, which is worth something that people are willing to pay for, license, acquire, then you have a store of value and some kind of uh, derivative income stream. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and maybe it's not even income, but you got the store of value component. Right. So in other words, if we sell it at some point, we're building something intentionally which can be sold uh, without us. Then you're validating traction. You're validating where the product market fit is. You're validating where the service uh, market fit is. And so, yes, at some point, again, always look up because when you're looking up, you're like it, simplest thing. And this is related but unrelated find any publicly traded company that you're very interested in and google them and find out when their shareholders meeting is and most of the time it's available to the public and all you have to do is hop on a call or hop on a zoom or hop on a something they will literally tell you what their focus is and if you are in that industry in that field build what their focus is try to get a door in And now all of a sudden you've done what you've already done, cultivated the clients you've already cultivated. And now you've also potentially lined up or planted the seeds for your potential acquirer. Okay. I'm thinking, I'm trying to process that still. So you're saying focus on what companies are looking for in terms of a service provider and then build a business around that, which is something that someone may want to acquire. Is that right? Yeah, with, with some nuance. I mean, so if, 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 for example, 
let's say that your niche is operations and marketing, right? And so you consult with companies on that area. But if you look across your clientele, your clientele fit within a consistent theme of industries, let's say engineering, right? Where my brain would go is I would look up and see what major companies publicly traded or just large companies are in that engineering field. Now you theme your consulting around adding value to those types of companies. And when you look up, those engineering firms will share to the world what their focus is, what their initiatives are, what they're trying to solve. And if you can be the person to help them solve that by creating this consulting or like we're talking about this IP surrounding that problem, you've now identified your potential exit plan. Mm. That makes sense. And when I've spoken to people about their exit, many people don't think they've have they've given it some thought because as as consultants, trainers, coaches, we love what we do. We love helping people. We love delivering programs and so on. We don't think about the time which will come when we need to move on or simply move out. Um, yeah. We're going to be hopefully doing this when we're in our 70s. So at some point, there needs to be some kind of exit plan. And it would be a pity to go down the road of building so much value in yourself, but then there's nothing to sell to people. Because if you are the business, there's nothing left in the business if you take you out of the business. Um, you also say that for people listening, again, we'll, we'll keep the, the examples on, on training, consulting, facilitating, coaching. Um, you say that your business is one place that you invest, but you need at least two other buckets. So what I'm guessing you're saying is that, um, let's say, again, as a trainer, I'm going to invest in at least one or two certificates this year for myself. I'll do some continuous professional development. I'll update my coaching qualification, et cetera. So I'm going to invest my business money in myself. I'm going to invest it, therefore, in the business by making myself more, more valuable. But you're saying you need at least two other buckets. What are those buckets and why? So to be clear, I'm not defining two specific buckets as okay. much as two specific ideas, two specific strategies. Okay. So when we're having a financial coaching or consulting meeting, I draw a lot of squares because that's all I know how to draw. So imagine <laughs> eight squares, right? Okay. So square one, square two, square three, right? So we're looking at three squares. Often business owners will consider their business as their home run asset. You know that all it is, is it takes you going out and getting one contract for 300 grand or a million bucks or 5 million bucks or 10 million bucks or whatever the number is. And now you've taken your business to another echelon, right? And as business owners, we're always thinking about that potential, right? That's our home run. So you're going to continue to invest time, money, energy into, like you said, getting those further qualifications, building a better website, building different marketing funnels, investing in a marketing team, whatever it is that we're investing in. But there's two other areas. As we get older, we have an increasing appreciation for conservative assets. It just happens. 
Typically, we look at conservative assets as cash or bonds or money markets or insurance contracts. So those are a number of different buckets, but they all fit within that sort of conservative or safe notion. The other bucket that we have to look at is what is another aggressive asset, another aggressive bucket? Just simple terms. If you look at the S&P 500 over the last 100 years, before adjusting for inflation, it's earned 10%. If your business isn't growing at a compound compound annual growth rate of at least 10% a year, your business is losing. You are leaving dollars on the table because you could go work anywhere and take money and put it into an index fund and earn 8 to 10%. So what I would say is that outside of your business, there should be some kind of aggressive bucket that could be real estate flipping, that could be investment accounts, that could be some aggressive strategy, something that's going to yield you, call it 8 to 12%. There should also be a safe asset that you're slowly allocating to. And again, what you'll see is the closer you get to the point where you're thinking, I want to stop. The more you're not wanting to see the value of your assets going up and down. The trouble is that many of us keep investing in ourselves, which is laudable. I mean, it's understandable. We want to be more of a, a valuable consultant, a valuable trainer. We're going to invest in courses for ourselves, extra learning, and so on. Seminars, it, conferences. Seminars, conferences, right. But but the more we get closer to the hopeful exit point, we need to have things that we as business owners are investing in other than ourselves. Well, and let me let me add one other comment to that. We often think of this exit as like just this end of the road, like it's just suddenly we just stop. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to look like that. You know, there's this whole world called private equity that exists, and and there are uh, accredited investors who they call themselves angel investors. There's a way where you can take dollars off the table. There's even banks that that offer financing for this exact thing. Where if you have this business and you've created the store of value, let's say, Mark, your business has a valuation of call it five million bucks. And you still want to continue consulting for a little while longer, but you want to go ahead and take some of those chips off the table. It could be that you go and do a recapitalization and you take two or three million dollars off the table. Maybe you still own a small percentage of the company. You still stay on and you work in the company, but now you've taken some value out of the company and you have this sort of staged exit plan. It's not always just a, again, we got to this destination and we stop. Okay. So that reminds me of some people I know who've taken in a partner. And so that partner's bought in. And that's one way they can get some value out of the business. So let's just say you're running a consultancy, a training consultancy for 12, 13, 15 years. You say, you know what, five years time, I'm, I'm taking off. I'm going to do that thing I always thought I'd do. So what I'll do is, Rather than just stop, as you're saying, Xavier, we're going to bring in someone as an exa- as an example, and uh, that person will buy into the business, 
right? Which helps me to get some money out of the business and to do these things you're talking about. Precisely. And helps you. There, there's three elements that we have. Time, money, energy, right? And so one of the other principles that we'll talk about is the least efficient way for you to make money is to give your time. The next least efficient way is for you to give your energy. And the third, the most efficient way is for you to give your money, right? Okay. So this is the role, if you think of like rich dad, poor dad, that whole four quadrants that he draws out, employee, the employee, business owner, investor, and self-employed, self-employed, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's Robert right. Kiyosaki for people listening. Robert Kiyosaki wrote a, a best-selling book 15, 20 years ago called Rich Dad, Brilliant. Poor Dad. Brilliant yeah. book. Yeah. Brilliant book. But that investor is basically, I'm going to take my money and I'm just going to put it up and I'm going to sit back and my money is going to earn money. I didn't give any of my time. I didn't give any of my energy. It just earned money. And then I'm sure you can imagine where we're going down from there. So what the illustration you just gave of that partner coming in, that might have saved you time. That probably saved you energy. And you took dollars off the table money. That sounds like a maximization of energy. Because money is a form of energy. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean... If you want to get a, any vessel moving in a certain direction, you need some sort of energy to create that movement. And it also takes time, right? Somebody could put up their money and you can put up money and buy pretty much anything in this world. You can put up money and get pretty much anybody to get off their butt in this world. It literally is a form of energy. You are transferring this money, which you've accumulated into someone else's pocket in exchange for some good or service. That is energy. Right. So when we invoice our clients, they're taking their money, which may not even be their money, and they're paying us. (laughs) Right. And, and And we're then expending our energy, our time, to provide that service in return. But it doesn't sound like that's the thing we want to do forever. That's what I realized. That's why I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, I can't go another 30, 40 years in being a financial advisor, particularly not at this firm or any firm. Because I'm always tied to it. No matter what, like we look at, and I'm not degrading anything, so don't, don't, don't hear me as that. But, you know, we look at like doctors and lawyers as kind of like the esteemed white collar professionals in our society. I was just talking to a doctor and they're always on call. That's true. We, <laughs> they yes. work 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week. They could literally be on vacation and have a patient on this big emergency, particularly if they run their own practice. And now they're leaving wherever they are and they got to get back to do whatever that is. And yet so many of us have been, I would say, um, led to believe that people who have these white collar jobs, the consultants, the lawyers, the barristers, as we call them over here, um, all those high paid people who we think of the dream job. They're basically tied to that job and they are, their identity is that job. 
But as soon as they leave that thing, they're not making money unless they've built something that's a store of value, which provides an income stream. So therefore, the good news is we don't have to be one of those people to build a store of value and an income stream. If we're clever, we can create IP, we can create uh, games, apps, courses, um, some kind of learning framework. Systems. Systems. Trade trade secrets. Relationships, contracts with with key contracts. I mean, I've seen people that don't have a product. All they have is an idea and they go out and get someone that believes that they're capable of doing it and hands them a letter of intent that could be worth millions of dollars. And then they can literally go take this letter of intent and just hand it to someone else in exchange for, maybe it's a percentage. These things exist. (laughs) And it's frustrating when you think, all the work I put into this thing, and someone else comes along and they've borrowed money or they're using someone else's money, they haven't created something per se, no real sweat equity, but they've just got some concept or idea or IP, and that in itself is valuable. There's a guy I just met a few months back, 24-year-old, lives in New York, um, works in tech, thought of this idea where people that want to get married often need financing to get married, which is just absurd in my brain. Consumerism is just disgusting to me. But regardless, they, they, they need money to get married. There's a whole niche market there. There's nobody that is financing weddings. So he thought of, let's go get this credit facility. Let's build this software platform. Let's do it. Immediately, he was in conversation with looking up market, exactly what I'm saying. Um, The Knot, I think is the name of the company, which is like a wedding registry, like an online platform. It's very well known uh, all over the States and was in conversation with them. They offered him 4 million bucks within the first six months of this idea. (laughs) Good Lord. Just an idea. Yeah. Not even software built. Nothing. There is so much we could talk about here. Uh, Xavier, we're going to end with, with um, one piece of advice you, you, you want to give to people. Someone right now is a consultant. They're a trainer. They're a coach, a facilitator. They're working, delivering leadership programs or mindfulness programs they're very proud of their business and the, the equity they've built up in that business, but they are the business. What would you say to them about financial wisdom as a roadmap um, in the next five years? What's the one key piece of advice you give someone who's hasn't yet perhaps seen the writing on the wall and the implication of not investing in other buckets than themselves? I mean, I think you just hit it on the head, quite frankly, and you've, we've, we've already alluded to it and, and you just summarized it is that, if, if I used to be a basketball coach and trainer and you'd often have these parents, mommy goggles, daddy goggles is what we used to call it, who they thought their son or daughter was like the greatest freaking player ever. And, you know, usually they're the worst, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. so I would say the same thing to you as the business owner. You got to take your business owner, your daddy, mommy goggles off and you've got to look at your business like Awareness of self and awareness of others is a very important element. So you got to have that awareness and look at it and say, would I buy this? It's supposed to mine. Would I buy it? <laughs> and, 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 and that's just step one. And then obviously someone else still has to buy it. And someone has to 
name the price that you find interesting. And then someone has to come up with the money and then hand it to you. And there's a lot that goes in between all that. But, but if you do that assessment and you realize that there is no store of value, then you need to make plans immediately to allocate dollars elsewhere. Otherwise, you're going to be another percentage where in the U.S., 40% of seniors are living on Social Security alone. Wow. That's a lot of effing people. Yeah. Almost 200 million people are living on purely Social Security. Staggering. Sustainable. And those are often people who've had a, arguably a successful career, but there's just nothing left afterwards. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. Yeah. Xavier, where can people find out more about you and connect online? There's two ways. Um, of course, me building my store of value, Tech and Flow, techflowventures.com. We'll make sure that Mark gets all the links. That website really has everything about what we're doing, what we're working on, who we serve, that sort of thing. The other side of it is if you're really just interested in like Xavier the coach, XavierGray.com. Okay. And we can check out your LinkedIn profile. So I'll provide all links. Yeah. LinkedIn as well. I'm, I'm exactly, I'm, I'm available. I mean, I'm sure that if you Google, <laughs> you'll find my number and find my cell and find my email. It's probably not a good thing, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to stay anonymous these days on the web. Xavier, thank you so much for a fantastic and slightly uncomfortable conversation, but I think it's something we all need to hear which is the, the need to be aware that the business is not it. Uh, we need to think of value, building that store of value and ensuring that we're not a risk to our own business by being the only thing that's uh, of value uh, in the work we do. Xavier, thank you so much for being my guest on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. My thanks to Xavier for being my guest this week on the show. And we'll provide all links to this week's episode and links mentioned in this episode over on trainingbusiness.com. If you have a question or suggestion, please drop me a line. My address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. My entire team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, and I appreciate your loyalty, and we'd love you to come back again next week. You'll find all episodes, past, present, and future, on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, etc. And you'll also find them over on trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, look after yourself. Speak soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.